morning. I'd like for you to open your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. We hear a lot of jokes about mother-in-laws, don't we? I never speak bad about my mother-in-law or joke about her. She's a wonderful lady. She really is. But I want to say that we're looking at a mother-in-law this morning and the importance of her and her role here. But most of all, we're looking at Jesus who came to seek and to save those who were lost and to heal the sick, to show that He is Messiah and to let us know of His omnipotence and His desire to do or bring glory to God's kingdom through His work, His sacrificial work. You know, when Debbie and I lived in Dallas, Texas. Often after worship, we would attend uh, First Baptist Dallas. And we would come home and we would have the Georgia gang meet us over there. Now the Georgia gang at that time consisted of Wayne Wright. You've heard him preach here. Steve Felker and David Allen. They were a little bit younger than us and they would come over and they were not married at the time. And so even though uh, we were not preaching or teaching, having any ministry at First Baptist Dallas, we would, we would still be hungry after the preaching of Dr. Criswell and uh, the Sunday service and the Sunday school. And so uh, those guys, I mean, I don't know about you, but those guys could put away some food. I don't remember ever having to uh, counsel a meal, though, uh, because of Debbie being sick. Debbie always uh, was able, uh, thank the Lord, to, uh, to be there to cook for all of us. Now, I could, you know, I couldn't imagine this group coming to Peter's mother-in-law's home, tired, and here they've been through the service, they've been with Jesus, They'd been performing, they'd left the synagogue, and uh, crowds were following them, and they were looking for a little, little bit of r and I'm sure, which the Georgia gang did every day when they came over, and also some good cooking. And the mother-in-law must have been a pretty good cook because he invited all of them over, you know. So uh, they had come there, and as they got there, though, there was a scene that was unique. Here they were looking for some good food and rest, and they didn't smell anything cooking. They didn't see any food on the table. What happened when they got to Peter's mother-in-law's house? She was sick. She was in bed. The healing of Peter's mother-in-law is a third of the miracles of healing. It precedes the, uh, mele- uh, the healing uh, miracles of power and of restoration in chapters 8 and uh, chapter 9. 
And the miracles which follow the great Sermon on the Mount are these miracles, in which the king expounds the precepts of the kingdom of God. And that is displaying his credentials along with it. They mark him out as a sovereign king of kings and lord of lords. They identify Christ as the one promised by the scriptures. And this is probably the chief, uh, chief reason that Matthew includes these miracles in his work. To let them know that he was the king of kings and lord of lords. He was the Messiah. Now Jesus comes to Capernaum. And it's located uh, northwest shore of Sea of Galilee. And the town was a major Jewish center in the northern Galilean region. And its trade was primarily known for agriculture and fishing. And it became the center of miraculous activity within the ministry of Jesus. So the first thing that we're going to be looking at is the context of the miracle. That's so very important. And I want you to look at the scripture with me as we read it. Verses 14 uh, through 17. It says, And when Jesus had come to Peter's home, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick in, in bed with a fever. And he touched her hand, and the fever left her. And she arose and waited on him. And when evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed. And he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were healed. In order that what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, He himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. We're told in the Gospels, both Matthew and Luke, that Jesus' healing ministry continues, but in a more private setting here. Both Mark and Luke tell us that Jesus left the synagogue and came to the house of Peter. Mark uses the phrase, they came into the house of Simon and Andrew and James and John. Where Luke just says, he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's home. Mark seems to be a little bit more detailed than Luke. But Matthew tells us, and when Jesus had come to Peter's home, uh, and that's that's all he says. Uh, Matthew uh, uses the uh, uh, proper name here of Peter, and we don't know why, instead of Simon, which is the, the, other, the other two Gospels use. That's not that important. That's not the emphasis here. The concern of Jesus for both men and women, for demoniacs and uh, demoniacs, excuse me, and the sick is brought out in the, these pair of narratives. And according to a synopsis of the uh, parallel accounts, our Lord performed this miracle on the Sabbath day, having come from the synagogue and he no doubt was hoping for some moments of rest following his busy day and so Mark tells us that it was not just a home of Simon Peter his wife and Jesus mother-in-law but also Simon's brother Andrew must have stayed there along with them and some say that this was the headquarters that uh, that Jesus used And so uh, it was a gathering place, in other words. So uh, in this context, we see that it was customary for the main Sabbath meal to be immediately after the synagogue or at the sixth hour noon instead of a uh, 
ready prepared meal, they found a sick cook. And we have no mention of Peter knowing that she is ill. He probably just invited the group over after the synagogue. And this, this sickness became another opportunity, though, for the Lord to perform another one of his miracles. So Peter's home, we know, here is in Capernaum. Now the mention of Simon uh, Peter's mother-in-law definitely indicates that Peter was married since it refers to mother by marriage. Now, uh, 1 Corinthians 9.5 also indicates this. And um, in fact, tradition says that Peter's wife was actively involved in the women's ministry and that Peter had children. But we don't know this from the Word of God. And so the, uh, the next thing that we need to look at is the condition of the mother-in-law. Upon entrance of the home, Luke tells us that they uh, besought him for her or made request of him on her behalf. Now Matthew states, and when Jesus had come to Peter's home, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick in bed. Matthew is not interested in describing the actions of the ones involved other than Jesus. His main purpose here is or was to describe the Messiah's work. As we know, that was the purpose of Matthew in writing it, to let us know that the Messiah had come, to let us know that Jesus was the Messiah. And so that's why he emphasizes that. And bringing a, we see that um, here we have a, a sick mother-in-law, the mother and James and uh, John and Andrew, and so Peter's wife must have been very good-natured to, uh, uh, for Peter to bring all into the home, especially the extra people that we find that come along with them without any complaint. And being a person who follows Jesus, this lets us know that it doesn't exempt us from sickness. We will face trials and tribulations and we will see that sickness comes upon all of us at times. But such things including sickness are often used to glorify God. And this was the case here. And so entering Peter's home, he no doubt hoped for some moments of rest following a busy day. But upon entering, they besought him for her. It says in Luke. So let's look at the compassionate act. First of all, this compassionate act involves an authoritative command. In Luke, we read Jesus standing over her rebuked the fever and it left her. And she immediately arose and began to, uh, to wait on them. And uh, in Mark, it says, Now Simon's mother-in-law was lying with a fever, and immediately they spoke to him about her. And he came to her and raised her up and took her by the hand. And the fever left her, and she began to wait on them. And then here in Matthew, we're told, And when Jesus had come to Peter's home, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick in bed with a fever. And he touched her hand, and the fever left her. And she arose and began to wait on him. So Matthew and Mark are uh, 
a lot identical in, in touching and raising her up. But Luke says that he rebuked the, the fever. And I know that rebuking, it comes to mind with uh, demon possession. But this doesn't seem to be the case here. It's just a rebuking it. It's a sign of authority. And so it is an authoritative command. And then we see it being followed up by a tender touch. A tender, caring touch. The fever was great or high, as Luke the physician describes it in verse 38 of chapter 4. And the tense of the verb in Luke indicates that she had a chronic fever. Or very severe. So, uh, though Jesus could have healed her just by speaking, like he did at other uh, uh, times, we're told instead he touched her hand. And physical contact was probably used to show Jesus cared for her, just like he cares for everyone. The point is that he healed her the way that he so chose to do. Don't we box him in a lot of times, think that just because he worked a certain way, then he's got to work that way again with us or with somebody else. And what we're doing is we're limiting God or playing God. We should learn not to box him in. We should learn to be like the leopard who said, if you're willing to heal me. In other words, put it back on God. If you're willing to heal me. Not I'm going to tell you what to do. And so um, as we see this, the reason for the different ways in which he healed rested in the mental and moral condition of the people themselves. And what he wanted to communicate through that. And here he wanted to communicate his authority over all diseases that he is the Messiah along with touching her a sympathetic caring hand although he's authoritative he's not distant he comes to us and he cares for us Jesus extended hand was simply an expression of his genuine love and his desire to tenderly meet the woman's need now, he is, you know, we see what he's uh, like and how much he loves us through this. To touch us in healing is a caring demonstration of his love. And this is what he wants to do with each soul. He desires to come and touch us with his grace and for us to respond in faith and be healed spiritually. Now, this miracle was suggested earlier as performed in a, a home in privacy. And this tells us an important thing here. Domestic life never finds its true meaning and purpose. Never finds its true meaning and purpose until it has settled into a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's so very important. How many homes are without Jesus Christ? How many homes don't find the true meaning and purpose of why they're here? 
How many homes go through all these activities which are fine? All these events which are fine? All these wonderful things that are offered in our society, but they never come to that settled relationship. Understanding their true purpose and meaning. Even after the healing of Peter's mother-in-law, the multitude was at Peter's front door waiting to be healed or to be ministered to by the Lord. And we see an untiring giving of self in serving others. In other words, selflessness here by the Lord. Now, that is a definite demonstration of his caring. His loving touch. It says in Matthew, And when evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed. And he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were healed in order that what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, He himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. And that's important. If we have time, we're going to get to that. Some people think that Everybody's to be healed and everybody can be healed. And that's why we have healing um, prophets and and other people. But is that what it it means here? And is that the reference and why it was put in this context here? Matthew we read and he touched her hand. Fever left her and he rose and began to wait on her. We see that it was an immediate healing. Mark tells us, and he came to her and raised her up, taking her by the hand, and fever left her. She began waiting on them. And then Luke also immediately, you know, we're told that she immediately arose and started waiting on others. It was a, an immediate healing. When Jesus does something, it's done. It was a complete healing. It's taken care of. And this is why when we're healed spiritually, when we're healed by the blood of the Lamb, is it complete or is it not? Then how can we lose our salvation if it is complete? If our sin is greater than His salvation that He offers on Calvary's cross, then His salvation never really saved us. It's complete. He raised her up. Mark's gospel probably carries the meaning of completeness, the complete healing. And then we look at the fourth one, the response from the mother-in-law. Look at the loving response. Her, uh, her help uh, uh, also uh, was an indication or a reflection of her gratitude for her cure. It was grateful. It was, it was a loving, grateful act. And then it was an act of faithful service. She immediately getting up and serving the Lord, it says, and the others was a sign uh, to everyone who truly receives the healing of Christ that that's the way we're to be. We're not to wait around. We're to get up and serve the Lord. We're not to wait on somebody else to do it. We're to get involved and serve the Lord and continue to serve the Lord. It's not for someone else. It's what God has done for us that we show or should show that appreciation. And then 
we see with this, it, it indicates that with this act of faithful serving, that God is the Savior of the world. He's the Messiah that they were looking for. He comes to those who are in desperate need. I want you to look at the, the three that we've talked about just briefly. The three miracle stories in, in 8, 1 through 4 about the leper. In uh, 8, 5 through 13, it was a Roman satyrian. And then a, uh, a, a woman in 8, 14 uh, through 17. So you have the leper, the Roman satyrian, and the woman. And it's interesting that the first and the uh, third stories are both about Jewish people. Both conclude with scriptural citations. And by that I mean the centurion, what was he? He, you know, he could worship but, uh, and he uh, took part in part of it, but he was a proselyte. But also we see that the, uh, the leper was an outcast and the woman, uh, you know, she could not do a lot of the things that others could do. So all three of them were limited and they were uh, unable to uh, carry on the activities of a a true Jewish worshiper, a male worshiper, the way that uh, the male worshipers could because the, uh, the leper was an outcast, uh, the Roman centurion, although he might have been a worshiper, uh, he could only do it uh, from certain uh, areas and certain ways and he couldn't be like the male Jewish person who entered the gate to worship, nor could the woman at that, uh, in, in that case. And so we... We see these three and we see that, that God reaches down. Matthew was consistently interested in those who were down and out because he knew that they had been surprisingly open to the message of the kingdom. They needed that. They were desperate. They needed that. And if we're going to be born again, then we need to show that we are desperate, that we're in need of this. So what does that tell us today about the theme? Jesus, the promised Messiah, has authority over all creation. And with that authority, he extended himself sacrificially, even though having that authority, in compassion for the desperate need, all the way to the cross. And Isaiah, the scripture that is mentioned there, is primarily in reference for that. Is there healing on the cross? Physical healing through the, the atonement? Sure. But it was for a purpose. Does God heal today? You hit it right on the head. God. If he so chooses to. But he used Christ and the cross for a purpose. And this is primarily out of Isaiah talking about the atonement. And so as we see this, Jesus, the promised Messiah, has authority over all creation and extended himself sacrificially in compassion for those in desperate need, for people like you and I, to come to him 
and to give our life knowing and realizing that it's nothing that we can do that will get us to heaven and we by grace through faith are saved. That's it, people. But because of that, we should also demonstrate what has happened in us to other people. If we're just going to sit back, then our salvation has not effectively done what God intended for it to do. We have to, we must get out with a joy, with a desire, with a changed life, just like the mother-in-law getting up and serving Jesus, telling other people and showing other people what God has done in our life. This is why he told the disciples and, and had them go out preparing them later on for the great commission where they would go out and share what God had done in their life to others. It must be that way. So has it affected you that way? Do you have that desire? You know, one way we can do it, and it's only one way, is through giving to help others do it, like Haley said, in places that we can't be. But does that exclude us from doing it in our own home. Does that exclude us from doing it with our neighbors, those who live around us, with the people that we talk to during the week, with the people that we come in contact with, with the people at the grocery store, with the people that we meet at the, the gas station, with the people that we run into at work, with the people that we become involved with at school, with the people that we just cross paths with. Does that negate that? Or should we be sharing our faith from a grateful heart with other people? We should give of our time, our talents, and our money for the Lord. Let's bow our heads in prayer.